We're continuing our study of the book of Jonah today from Jonah chapter 3. It's a little difficult to find uh, Jonah, the book of Jonah in the Bible, but um, I always remember Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, and then Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. But we've uh, been uh, plowing our way through the book of Jonah for, um, for several weeks, and we've discovered that in many ways we are Jonah. I am Jonah. His story is my story. His need is my need, and his glory, as he turns his face toward the Lord, is my glory as well. So I'm going to go back and pick up just a couple of those verses before we release our children today and, uh, and invite you to remember the story, and then we will pick up the newer verses as well. Beginning in chapter 2, at the end of chapter 2, uh, at verse 9, Jonah says this, But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. And he's speaking to Yahweh, to the Lord. What I have vowed, I will pay. And then he says, as we saw last week, salvation belongs to the the Lord. He says, Yeshua. He says, Jesus. And look what happens. And the Lord spoke to the fish. And it vomited Jonah out on dry land. It it spit Jonah out. Now we're going to pick it up in chapter 3, verse 1, and it's going to sound very familiar to you. It's going to sound exactly like chapter 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, guess what? Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose, and this time went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey into it. And he called out the message, apparently, that God had given him, yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Eight words in English, five words in Hebrew, Simple message, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. In my Bible, it's orange. That means jumps off the page. And the people of Nineveh believed God. And they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And if that were not enough, he issued a proclamation and published it throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. Isn't that amazing? He's calling for a total fast. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them all cry out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil ways and from the violence that is in his hands. And who knows? Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. At the end of chapter 3, we read these words, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. The very word of God. 
Thank you, God. Children, you are welcome to join other children who would like to um, have a special time of worship together. Your teachers will meet you in the back. And, and teachers, would you remember to bring them back in in time for communion today, in time for communion today. We appreciate that so much. God bless these children richly, would you? They're such a gift of God to us. We just pray, God, that, that you just anoint them today, that their teachers would um, be divinely inspired. That, God, they could be drawn to you, even as we pray, you will draw us to yourself as well. For we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, wow. Um, we, today we, we pick up the story after this amazing sequence of events in, in Jonah's life. And we pick it up. I'm going to jump right to chapter 3, verse 1. We read, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The second time. Aren't you grateful to God for second chances and third chances and fourth chances? It's, this, it's confusing sometimes to us because we have been indoctrinated to believe that God is a God of judgment and that, and that if you mess up, then there's never a recourse for you. And especially if you mess up a second time. But here, right here in Jonah, 700 years before the time of Christ, we see that God is a God of second chances. And, and, and for all of us who've been in a time of difficulty, maybe caused by ourselves, maybe caused by someone else, and who wonder, can I come back, God? Will you receive me back? The answer is overwhelmingly yes. You see, the word of the Lord comes to you a second time. You worship a God of second chances as well. But then look what, look what he says in verse 2. God says, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message. Does that sound familiar to you? It is carbon copy of what we studied five weeks ago when we opened Jonah chapter 1. And, and, and I guess where I'm going with this is here's the thing about the God of second chances, right? He always takes us right back to the place where we told him no, right? Wouldn't it be cool if, if, if God said to Jonah, okay, you know what, Jonah, uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to forgive you for not doing what I said, and let's just, let's just let that go, right? Let's just let 120,000 people who desperately need me, let's just, let's just let them go, right? But he doesn't do that. God took Jonah right back to the place of his disobedience. And I don't know about you, but I oftentimes want to ignore that. An irreconcilable difference between me and God, right? That let's just move on, God. But there are no irreconcilable differences with God. Can I say that again? There are no irreconcilable differences with God. God wants to be reconciled with his children. He wants to be reconciled with you. You can't say, let's just agree to disagree, God. No, God wants that relationship restored. And I'm saying it strong and, and uncomfortably strong even for me. But I'm, I'm taking you there because the text takes us there. God's not going to take you anywhere until you go back to that place where you said no to him. And, and you say yes to him instead. That is the testimony of Jonah's life. And, and beautifully, 
beautifully, the passage continues. So Jonah arose and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh, and, and the ESV translate this, was an exceedingly great city, right? Is, is, is God just interested in the size of this city? That's not actually what it says in Hebrew. In Hebrew there, it says, now Nineveh was a city that was exceedingly important to God, right? Wait, wait, this is Nineveh. Are we talking about Nineveh here, right? Yes, right. This city that Jonah so despised, all that it represented, all that it boasted mightily about, all the things that were Nineveh, the city was still important to God. And we'll see in chapter 4, not only the city was important to God, but the cows were important to God, right? Every aspect of his creation of that city of Nineveh was important to God. And so, so Jonah began to go into the city, and it says, I mean, literally, it just says he went a day's journey into it. He didn't even walk all three days across it, if I understand this right. He went a day's journey into it, and he said his message. He called out. It doesn't say he repeatedly called out. It just says he called out eight words in English, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, in fairness, Jonah has been parked. I'm looking at our worship team up here and thinking, did I miss a song? I did. Sorry about that. <laughs> did I miss a whole operatory? I did. Okay. <laughs> we'll press pause in the middle of this and, and, and take an offering. They were laughing at me earlier because they said, do something religious before we started. And I, I offered to take an offering then. They didn't take me up on it. Um, I will pick it up in just a second. Is that okay? Jonah has, gone, Jonah has gone into the city a day's journey. Picture Jonah for a second, would you? Jonah, um, Jonah has been in the belly of a whale or a great fish for three days. I know nothing about great fish digestive systems, but I'm assuming that they're a little bit like human digestive systems that somehow gastric juices go to work on whatever they swallowed, right? And Yeah, you get in the picture? Anyone want to go to lunch? Right? Um, I'm assuming that those were working on him. Honestly, other people have speculated. People are always looking for a human solution to a miracle of God. And other people have speculated, well, there was probably some earthquakes that happened right then. Why was it that a whole city, that a whole city turned to God at, at one moment? Um, I don't know. All I do know is that he spoke what God asked him to speak and a whole city repented. God, is that possible that, that you could do that again? God, that you could use your people right here to, to both hear your word, to respond to your mercy for ourselves, but God, through ourselves to others and that our city God, might turn to you for mercy. But God, I know that it's going to take all of who we are. It's going to take coming to understand your mercy for us. It's going to take risking going where you want us to go. Oh God, right now, we just pray that you would receive our worship. That God, right now, you who are a God of second chances would minister to us another chance and that we could respond in faith to you 
And that God today might be the down payment on an incredible life of faithful ministry to the world that you so love. Oh, bless us now, even as we receive this offering. God, bless it and, and multiply it to the purposes of your kingdom. And we will give you the praise and the glory in Christ's name. Amen. There is no one like our God. There is no one like our God. There is no other God who can save. There is no one like our God. What is this love that won't relent? That's calling now with heaven's breath. Who's reaching wide to save our souls? Only you. so much worship team i'm glad i looked back you'd have been standing there the whole time (laughs) you're so you're so faithful thank you so much let's continue our study together can we
Um, we saw that um, Jonah was faithful in preaching the word of the Lord. Just eight words. And the people responded. The people believed God. And then the king believed. Did you notice that the people believed before the king? Right? For those of us who are waiting for our government or our leaders to lead us, the people responded first. And I'm not saying that the king's uh, repentance wasn't genuine. I just know that the people were already moving there. Then that's happened to me so many times where I've sensed uh, the movement of the Lord, not because I sensed it personally, but because God was taking you there. Because God was already moving through you. And so... Um, so the king issues a proclamation by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. He declares a total fast, not just for the humans, but for the animals as well. Man and beast. And about this time you may be saying, well, what did the cows do wrong? Nothing. Nothing. But I, I, have you been around cows enough to know what they do if, if they haven't been milked? We've been around them enough what they do if they haven't been fed. Anybody want to take a shot? They moo. They moo, right? Oh, I can't help myself. It's a moving experience, okay? I'm, I'm sorry. I repent. I rebuke me. The whole city, the animals, everybody is crying out to God. All creation. All creation longs, all creation waits for the redemption of God's creation. Uh, the men and beasts and animals, right? It's the same for sackcloth. It's not, it's not like a fashion statement. The, the, the scripture says that when people repented, they would, they would rip. I'm about to do it, and I would rip my microphone right out there, and I'd do that. Um, but they would rip open their clothes, right? They would rip their clothes, that's why in that amazing passage in Joel chapter 2, which Joel was a contemporary in Judah of Jonah, and God, God says, rend your heart, not your garments. I don't take any pleasure in torn up clothes. What I take pleasure in is hearts that are torn, hearts that break with the things that break my heart. That's what I'm looking for in you. And, and there's a lot of speculation about what was really going on in Nineveh. You know that Nineveh ultimately received God's judgment. Um, how long later? Maybe 50 years later, um, Nineveh was judged by God. You can tell right here that they were genuinely repentant of their violence. But you never see um, Nineveh turning to the Lord in the midst of this. They just receive somehow insight into into their behavior, and they changed their behavior. If I could just press pause for a second, I think that we have a vulnerability that way as human beings, that oftentimes when we feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, when we sense that something is not right, we say, well, if I just change my behavior, then everything will be okay, right? But I think that's, that's backwards of the way the Lord wants to do it. He wants us to change our hearts, and behavior will change automatically. Does that make sense? Rent your hearts, he said through Joel, not, not your garments. Turn to me, he says, with all, all your heart, and I'll take you back. Joel 2.12, I'll take you back. God's waiting for his people to turn to him. 
And so, and so the king says, let everyone call. And he literally says, call mightily on God. Let them give up their evil ways and, and their violence. In the past now, we've seen that they boasted of their might. They boasted of their strength. They boast mightily of their riches. Now they're mightily in their humiliation and repentance. And the king says, who knows? Same thing that's said in, in Joel chapter 2. Who knows? Maybe God will turn and relent from his fierce anger. Maybe God will turn. I'm going to just press pause one more time and say this is a struggle for many people because we don't like to think of God changing. And I just want to invite you to think deeply about the very nature and character of God. Is it changing if God, who is always merciful to those who turn to him, is it, is it changing if he had Jonah pronounced judgment, they repented of their violence and God grants mercy? No, it's the same God who's quick to be merciful, who's quick to give grace to those who cry out to him. He hasn't changed. He hasn't changed. He just revealed to us the very nature of his heart. But God relents of what he said he was going to do. And he relents because he's filled with compassion and mercy. He never delights in judgment. He never, his word says, delights in the death of the wicked. What he delights in is mercy. And I love this picture of God. Give God half a chance. And he will respond to you. He will overwhelm you with mercy. Why? Because he's not like us. He's not like the fathers that we might have had, right? He's the perfect father. When, when I, my kids disappoint me, right? When, I, when, I, when they do and behave differently than I wanted them to behave, I'm disappointed. It's real. My heart breaks sometimes, right? But when my kids turn to me, when, when they are sad and broken over the things that they have done, my heart immediately breaks for them. Why is it so hard for us to imagine that God does the same thing? Oh God, poke holes, would you, in this dam, which is our pride, God. And, and yes, we will be broken. Yes, we will be emptied out. But God, your love and your mercy will wash over for us. It may be true, God. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's, let's get to it. Let's try and understand the very heart of God. Can I remind you right here at the beginning um, of some of the big picture things going on in Jonah? Because it's important for us to see the context of Jonah chapter 3 in light of the whole book. God's purpose in this, in this book that we've been studying together is to show us how he pursues sinners. God pursues Sinners, even wicked sinners, sinners like uh, like the Ninevites, even even in immovable sinners like Jonah, God pursues them the whole time. It's interesting that the Ninevites, in some form or another, repented, but we don't really see that in Jonah. He changes his behavior, but his heart doesn't change. 
God is pursuing sinners. He's pursuing me and he's pursuing you. But it's also one of the big picture purposes in Jonah is, is to contrast the difference in God's heart for lost people and ours, right? Jonah didn't have an ounce of compassion in his heart for the lost people of Nineveh, um, but God does. Jonah is the Israel of his day, the, the Pharisees of Jesus' day, and my heart breaks, but in many ways, Jonah is the church of our day as well. And God has a different heart. That's why it's so important to receive the heart of God before we try and change our behavior, that the behavior can flow out of a new heart. But one of the purposes, the big picture purposes of Jonah is also to give you a glimpse of a real Savior. And, and I want to suggest to you that, that just like in the story of the prodigal son, there was a missing person in the story. Do you remember our study? There was the younger brother. There was the older brother. And everyone was saying, where is the true elder brother? Where is the one that goes after the lost? Where is the one who seeks uh, to save the lost. Where is that true elder brother? And we discover that Jesus is the true elder brother. Remember that study? The prodigal God? I want to suggest to you that there's a true and better Jonah. There's a true and better Jonah. Jesus, who did everything that Jonah didn't do, but now for us, for you, and for me. He did what the Lord asked of him at great cost to himself. And he accomplished what none of us could accomplish for ourselves. He reconciled us to the living God. So God pursues sinner. God has a different heart for the lost than we do. Jonah wants to give us a picture of the real Jonah, the real Savior, Jesus. But there's this aspect here we'll explore next week especially to show us how God uses his people in the world. Let's go there. Let's begin there today. I don't know how you feel when, when you have a sense that God wants you t- to speak to someone, right? When he wants you to step outside of your comfort zone and risk speaking the words that he gave you. Uh, many of, of uh, us have been attempting to step into that a little bit to spend time with God in such a way that we recognize his voice. And then, then when we're out on the street and, and in a place where we're encountering someone, to be able to know what God wants to say to that person. Now, you might remember that I invited you to take some baby steps that way. We've, we've, we've challenged you to take baby steps in some, in some relatively comfortable ways. Uh, um, we've invited you. Very few people will say no if you say, can I, can I pray for you? Right? Very few people will say no. Uh, and so it's an amazing way to, um, to go deeper with someone spiritually. And, and oftentimes when they let you pray for them, then you have that opportunity to say, can I tell you my story? Right? And you've seen us modeling how to tell your story. There was a time in my life when, remember Lisa? Was it last week, Lisa? Um, uh, there's a time in my life when, but, but God, right? And then she said at the very end of it, do you have a story? Like that, right? To be able to, to bridge that gap between yourself and some other person. To bridge the gap between the Lord and some other person. As Well, I apologize. I'm still learning how to use this thing and it goes off at weird times. 
So, so um, how are you doing to that? I have to confess that in anticipation of, of doing this, uh, I was having um, lunch at a restaurant, and, and I, I, was, I was thinking, I felt the, probably the same thing that you do. I felt, I, felt, I do not know what to do here. I apologize. Um, I felt that pressure. Um, God, do you want to speak to this woman, this waitress that was at my table? And I was meeting with another, uh, another guy, and we were just kind of plowing our way through our conversation. She was standing there, and, and um, I said, I don't want to do this, God, but I'm going to do it. And, and, I, and I said, um, you know, we're going to pray for our food. I'm, I'm embarrassed to tell you that I'm still uncomfortable just throwing myself into a conversation. We're going to pray for our food. Is there any way that we can pray for you. My mom just had a heart attack. I'm, I'm in pain right now. I have to work today, but I got a kidney stone and it's excruciatingly painful right now. There's a woman suffering right there in front of me while I was ordering my taco, right? And, and God wanted to speak into that. And, and so I said, well, can we pray for you? And I'm always very sensitive to that. Um, I don't reach out and grab them or, or anything like that. And she reached out and grabbed my hand. And she grabbed the surprised hand of the guy sitting across the table from me. And we prayed right there in, in the restaurant. Um, don't underestimate what God can do through you if you'll risk speaking his word. If you'll risk don't call it evangelism, okay? Evangelism, I think, is a Greek term that describes two uncomfortable people talking to one another, right? Don't call it evangelism. Call it love and mercy. Opening your heart to someone that God puts in your path and see what God will do. See what God will do. I think uh, in a weird way, Christians especially, but really everybody in our culture is deathly afraid of violating social norms. And I don't know about you, but, but our social norms have changed dramatically uh, month by month in the last five years. Uh, things that would have appalled us five years ago are now, are now the norm. And in fact, people are appalled if we don't. I'm not kidding. It's that fast, right? Norms, people's norms are changing. But here's the deal. God is not passionate about people's norms, right? He's not passionate about people's norms. God's passionate about normal people, real people, broken people who just need a word of mercy, who need uh, uh, someone to show them the love and light of Christ. And so, so becoming an effective witness, becoming... A person who shares their faith is is not about becoming abnormal or or weird. It's about gaining a heart for normal people. So so in Jonah, and especially in these this chapter three, there's 
there's powerful truths about that. Let's just anchor ourselves again in these powerful truths. Now, remember that artificial people broke up these chapters, and I've shared with you, I think they missed it in Jonah's case. They missed the marks uh, in terms of how to break out the chapters here. But the chapters are not inspired. The verse numbers are not inspired. That's just people trying to be helpful so that we know what we're talking about. There's three powerful truths from Jonah. Do not miss this one we've been singing about all day. Salvation belongs to the Lord, right? Salvation belongs to our God. Jonah preached an eight-word sermon, and his heart wasn't even in it. And it wasn't particularly a very good sermon, although you would agree that it was short, right? Yet the whole city responds to those eight words. Why? Why? Because of Jonah's gastric juices thing? or because No, because God worked in their hearts. God worked in their hearts. God is the one that brings people to repentance. It's not something that you or I can do. He is the one that creates a hunger for him in their hearts. He's the one who arranges circumstances so that they want to know about him, right? He's the one that gives them that mustard seed of faith to put their weight down on him. It's going to go by fast, but let me just highlight a couple places in scriptures. 1 Corinthians 12, 3. I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. God has to work. John 1, 12 through 13. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, right? Or a husband's will, but born of God. God is the one who brings about rebirth. Ephesians 2.8, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And I said, okay, there's, there it is. There we are. We're responding. It's our faith that does this, right? Yes, in a way. But then he goes on right away to say, and this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, right? Not by works so that no one can boast. Even faith is a gift from God. John 6.37 and 44, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. And then 44, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. That means that people can't come unless God draws them. And if God draws them, they will come. And I don't know about you, but this just makes my brain hurt, and it raises possibly more questions than it answers. But it should also give you a sense of peace. This is not about you. If God could use Balaam's donkey, right, he can use you, right? If God can cause a cow to repent, right, he can move you as well, right? It's not on you to convince someone for or against God. God does the convincing. God does the persuading. You can make the greatest uh, evangelistic presentation ever. And if God's not working in that person's heart, what you said will have absolutely no effect. At the same time, you can fumble and stumble your way through the core of the gospel, right? Have you tried the three circles? You fumble and stumble. But if God is in it, right, 
He can, he can transform eternities by it. I hope, it, I hope that's a word of hope to you. He does require your response. Remember, he takes you back to that place you said no. But then watch what happens as he does the miracles, as he transforms people's lives. I take so much comfort from the fact that it's not about my eloquent speech. It's not about my ability to persuade people. It's by the power of God. And so you know what? At the end of the day, it's not that we're dealing with skeptics who need to be persuaded or worse, argued into the kingdom, right? It's, it's not about bad people who need to be convinced to become good people. It's about dead people coming to life. It's about resurrecting life. And that's something that only God can do. So I, I, I want to say relax, but I, I want to I say differently. I want to say be at peace. Be at peace. It's not on you. Say it with me. Salvation belongs to God. To God, right? Now saying that, faith is critical, right? Faith is critical. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They had to take that step of faith, right? The people of Nineveh just incredibly believed God. How did that happen? Well, uh, if you have a chance, I don't know if I put them on the screen or not, but um, Romans 10:17 says, this is right after Romans 10, 9 and 10, the essence of what it means to come to faith, right? If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, help me, you shall be saved, right? And then 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord in this way, Romans 10, 9 and 10, shall be saved. Now, this is just a couple of verses later. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, Again, Ephesians 2a, we read it just a moment ago. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. Through faith. Faith is critical. I don't want to diminish that at any point. But faith is a gift of God. And you can't control that. Honestly, they can't control that. God controls that. So faith is critical. But the Word of God is critical as well. Did you hear it in 1017? Faith comes from hearing, right? But hearing through the Word of Christ. In other words, it's not just even you're speaking it. It's what God does in someone's heart as the spoken Word goes forth. We saw phenomenally what happened in Genesis 1 when God spoke and it happened, right? And, and this is hard to wrap our brains around, but when God speaks through you, it can have nothing to do with how you said it or even what you said. But when you in faith speak forth the word of God, God does miracles in people's lives. The word of God is critical. Let me unpack that a little bit more. The word of God is power. The word of God is power. God's instrument of life is his word, right? It's not just information or commands. The word of God has power in it. It is power. Again, the Bible speaks of this all the time. 2 Corinthians 4, the word of God is like a ray of sunshine bringing light to the earth. 2 Timothy 3, it's like the breath of God, right, that creates life from nothing. First Peter 1, it, it's like that imperishable seed of life that bursts forth in fruit, right, in dead places. 
And as, as we studied together a few weeks ago, Isaiah 55 says that the word is like the rain that comes down from heaven and makes the earth sprout and blossom. The word of God is like a healing rain in our hearts, bringing life out of death. So, so these things, the word of God is power, right? It is power. The faith is critical, but speaking forth the word of God is critical as well. And, and the Word of God not only is power, but it gives power. It gives power. Think about the time that Jesus said to the lame man, rise up and walk, right? That's a command. This guy cannot walk. It's a command. But how did the lame man obey that command, right? Um, the Word spoken to him by Jesus gives him the ability to do what it asks. And if the word of God has said to you, make disciples of all the ethnos, of all the people groups, how in the world is that going to, the word of God gives you the ability to fulfill that. And very much, you're like that lame person right there going, this is not happening, right? And then, and then some mustard seed of faith says, what if it could happen? And you begin to move or you begin to go, and in going, you're healed. In going, God fulfills it. In their going, in your going, make disciples of all people groups, right? Wow. The Word of God is power. The Word of God gives power. It gives the power to obey the command that it gives you. But I'm going to push this a little bit, and this might be Dave here, but the word of God, if, I'm, if God has constrained himself in this way, God can do anything, but he seems to have constrained himself in this way. The word of God can't do its work where people haven't heard it. Now, I know that God could snap his fingers, right? God could snap his fingers and people could come to faith. And I don't completely understand it, but it seems like he's constrained himself not to do that. But if the word of God can't do its work where people haven't heard it, that means that our objective has to be to get the word of God into people's lives, right? To get them in the presence of it so God can do his work. Now, do not go there in the sense, okay, I'll bring them to church, right? And let Pastor Dave say some words or or, or Pastor Kristen, or, or, or Pastor Sean, right? And, and, then, and then God, no, no, you are his messenger. And you've got to take that word to where they are. And you've got to speak that word into their life where they are. This is going to sound a little crazy, but our objective is not other people's salvation. Wow, that's hard for me to even say it. But I'm going to stick with my guns. Our objective is not other people's salvation. Only God can do that. Salvation belongs to the Lord, right? Our objective, as I understand the scriptures, our objective is to get them into the presence of the word so that the word can do its work. Shouldn't our, shouldn't our objective be their salvation? I know what you mean. My heart goes there with you, right? But the way that God has chosen to do that is through his word. So let's get people into the presence of his word. That's why we invite them to do soaps. That's why I invite you to do soaps. That's why we invite them to come to a discovery process where, where let's just, you know, see what God might say about the issue that you're struggling with. 
And, and at the end of that, you know, if you, if, I, know, I know that you don't believe in God, but if you did, what would you need to do as a result of hearing that word and watch God's word do its work? So the word of God can't do its work where people haven't heard it, but the word of God can't do its word work where people won't speak it either. Where people won't speak it. There is a part in this deal that only you can do. I think, I think it's tempting to believe that God just magically brings people to faith in Christ and magically makes them appear in churches or in, in Bible studies. But, but boy, you don't have to go far in the book of Acts to see that it works very differently. In Acts, the only beings who preach the gospel are humans, right? Acts has incredible stories about wild and the miraculous powers of God, but the word of God has to be given by a human. Let me just, I don't think this is in your notes, but you go to Acts 8, right? Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, right? He's reading the scroll. He doesn't understand it. And God puts Philip in his life, and all of a sudden he understands it and is baptized on the spot. And if that were not enough, then God teleports Philip uh, out to to, um, Caesarea, I think it was. Acts chapter 9, the Apostle Paul, God knocks him off his donkey. Now, God could have snapped his fingers and given Paul the gospel message right then, right? He could have just snapped his fingers and Paul, and Paul would have had it. Saul is the name then. Saul would have happened. But no, he sends him instead to find Ananias, right? To hear the gospel from a person. Acts 10, Cornelius. Uh, Cornelius is a guy seeking God and, and God sends an angel who says, basically, God has heard your prayers. Go find a guy named Peter, and he'll explain the gospel to you, right? And while while that's happening in Cornelius' house, right, Peter, on the other side of the city, is on a rooftop praying. He's having kind of a pig in a blanket kind of experience, right? And he sends, and God sends Peter to Cornelius' house. You see what's happening here? God is just sovereignly moving in people's lives so that people can share the gospel. God could reveal himself directly to non-believers. I'll say it for the 15th time, but God chooses instead to use people. God could have revealed himself directly to humanity, right? But what did he do? He became incarnate himself as a human and speaks to us the very words of God. John 8, 28. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He and that I do nothing, nothing by my own authority, but speak as the Father taught me. Where, by the way, was Peter? And this happened in Joppa, the same place where Jonah went to escape God's presence. Wow. Wow, God is moving powerfully in people who will respond to him in people who will bring honor and glory to him. Pray with me, would you? God, thank you that you became flesh and walked among us. Thank you, God, that you invited us to hear your word. And then your Holy Spirit stirred up in us, God, a a mustard seed of faith. And God, when we believed your word, you saved us. 
But God, we know that you didn't just save us for ourselves. We know that, that God, there is much more to your kingdom than even, even hearing your word. We want to be like Jesus. God, we want to have the word transform us and then to share that word with others who can be transformed as well. So God, would you... I'm, I'm frightening myself, God, but would, would you do it again? Would you take the simple bread here and make it the physical presence of Jesus? Uh, let me say that differently. God, would you make it the spiritual presence of Jesus? We know that Christ died once for all. We know also, God, that if you will fill this bread with your presence, then as we eat of it by faith, God, you will minister grace to us. God, would you take this simple juice and make it the salvific blood of Jesus Christ. Would you, God, as we remember you in this cup, would you wash us clean of our brokenness? Would you call us again to your holy purposes? Would you minister grace to us in our time of need? God, we will give you the praise. We will give you the glory in Christ's name. Amen. Oh, just a moment. I'll share with you just a couple of takeaways from here. But let's just stop for a second. Let's believe God's word. That, that if we will humble ourselves and remember Jesus in this gift of God to us, this communion, that, that God will minister grace to us in our time of need. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body given for you. Do this, all of you, in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. I'm, I'm willing to go there with you again. I'm willing to bind myself eternally to you again. You broke the first one. I paid the price on the cross for that. But I'm willing to go there again with you. If you will remember Jesus in this cup, God will minister grace to you. And honestly, it will be the first step of fulfilling what I'm asking of you today. Paul says, as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim. Christ's death until he comes. You proclaim the gospel to grant us courage, God, to boldly approach your throne of grace. Grant us faith, God, to hear and believe that you're spiritually present in these elements and to nourish, to be nourished by them even as we come to you today. Grant us courage to believe, Jesus, that you are Yeshua, the Messiah, and in you, we have everything we need. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Will the servers please come forward? We're going to receive um, the, the sacrament of Holy Communion today uh, by intinction, which means that we'll invite those of you beginning in the back to begin and to come to um, the table of the Lord uh, to partake of it. Take the bread and, and, and dip it into the cup. And then as God allows you to... Um, to um, receive that element by, by mercy and grace. Um, we invite you to, if there's people in front of you, just put a hand on their shoulder appropriately, if you would, and, and just to um, be able to say that we're doing this together. We're the body of Christ together. And after you have received communion, if you remember, if you'll stay there to bless the person behind you 
as they take communion as well. Come to the table of the Lord. So where do we go from here? Just some simple applications and, and we'll put these words into practice. If the Word of God is so critical, then right, then, then we've got to get the Word of God into our hearts. Psalm 119 says, I've stored up your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We have to get God's Word in our hearts. But we also have to get the Word of God into other people's hands. And I just want to invite you to join me in that adventure. Let the Word do its work. You're welcome to bring them here, but but I invite you to instead take the Word and open it with them. And watch that amazing process, like Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch, that amazing process as they have these aha moments, because you were willing to walk beside them as they open the word. Lastly, I just invite you, pray like crazy. Pray like crazy. Nothing happens apart from prayer, right? I do not, do not understand it. But God has chosen to wait upon his servants, right? Pray the Lord of the harvest that God would send workers out into this field, into this harvest. Pray extraordinary prayers. Take one step beyond what you're already praying. Extraordinary prayers, right? Pray extraordinary prayers. And ask yourself, ask yourself some hard questions. If God answered in one fell swoop, every prayer you prayed last week, would anybody new be in the kingdom of God? I have to tell you, I was devastated by this. I'm so used to praying for my needs. I was devastated to ask myself, God, who am I praying that God would open their heart and, and bring them into the kingdom of God? How many people are you praying for right now that they might be brought into the kingdom of God? If salvation belongs to God, right? If, if salvation belongs to God, then asking God to do what only He can do is our greatest opportunity. It's our greatest resource. Asking God to do what only God can do. I want to note that Jonah wasn't a particularly good example of this. He was actually praying the opposite way. He was praying that God would judge Nineveh. But God changed his heart in prayer. So the bottom line 
is this. If you understand that God, that salvation belongs to God, if you understand the heart of God, you'll pray and you'll open the word. So are you people, like Jonah, are you keeping people from experiencing the grace that could be theirs? I know this sounds harsh, but it was a harsh word to Jonah. Are you keeping people from experiencing the grace that could be theirs by your failure to pray for them and to get the word of God to them. Thank you, God, that there is no judgment or condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God, you're not about guilting someone into responding to you. No, God, you're the God of second chances. You're the one who's been moving among us. You're the one whose salvation belongs to. God, you're the one who's mighty to say. So God, break our hearts with the things that break yours. Grant us, God, the compassion to be able to see the lost and to love them with your love, to let your mercy fall on them. And God, we're going to believe that you are the one who's able to do all things. Nothing is impossible for you. We worship you and we praise you and pray your blessing on us now in Christ's precious name. Amen.